Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Still Watching Mare, M-A-R-E, of Easttown. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. Uh, if you are just joining us for the first time on Still Watching, what Richard and I like to do is pick a show that we're watching, go after it week by week, break it down obsessively. Sometimes we talk to people who work on the show. Sometimes we don't. Uh, right now we are juggling two projects. We are wrapping up Falcon and the Winter Soldier and we are launching Mayor of Easttown. This is our second episode covering the second episode of Mayor of Easttown titled Father. So if you haven't watched that episode yet, you want to go ahead and do that and come back and listen to us talk about it. We have a bunch of emails. We got a 
ton of accent emails from you all. I also got a bunch of tweets and a friend of mine texted me about it. So a lot of people want to talk about the accents on this show. You can always email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Richard, I'm about to go rogue and suggest we introduce a, a, a listener challenge. Are you ready? Oh, please. Yeah. Um, I, I had suggested to Richard that we do like a, <laughs> a, a Philly uh, or Pennsylvania sort of like word of the week. And that's when I completely blanked and forgot that Richard's from Boston and thought he was from Pennsylvania because we have a bunch of Pennsylvania writers on our staff. And he was like, I guess I could look some up. Joanna, what are you asking me to do? <laughs> uh- <laughs> I mean, I've, I've stayed at night at Bryn Mawr when my friend was studying oh, there, you know. So. Bryn Mawr. Um, so I actually, given how many of our listeners appear to have like firsthand experience with Pennsylvania, I would love for you to email us stillwashingpod at gmail.com. I want us to like immerse ourselves in this like Philly culture and learn, learn more and more about it. So uh, if you want to send us like a word or some, you know, someone sent us some advice about cheesesteaks versus um, Wawa versus whatever. So like, we're going to be learning about all, all sorts of stuff. And I think that might be a, a, a fun ongoing thing to do. So still watching pot at gmail.com. We're going to get into those emails before we get into our discussion of the episode itself. Richard, what emails do you have for us this week? Uh, well, we have one about, our explicit mention of Wawa last week, which okay. um, people seem to appreciate that we knew what that was. But, you know, I've lived in the Northeast United States for my whole life. I should hope I know what Wawa is. I have multiple friends who have lived in Philadelphia. Anyway, uh, Cliff uh, writes to us and says, it was great to hear your shout out to Wawa subs. They really are tremendous. And if you're ever in the Philadelphia slash central New Jersey area, try them. Don't miss out. There are also a couple in the Mid-Atlantic and a couple in Gainesville, Orlando, Central Florida. The only bad culinary consequence of our move to New Orleans was the lack of Wawa's. For the decade I lived in uh, New Orleans, uh, Wawa subs were a highlight of my visits back to see my family in New Jersey. I also used to sneak a couple home in my carry-on for my daughters and wife. Besides how good they taste, a significant fraction of part of the experience is the touchscreen ordering. You can take all the time you want to build your sub, and since you don't have to speak to, uh, the order to the sandwich maker, you're spared any potential embarrassment, like if you like mayo and ketchup on your ham and salami sub or whatever. Um, that is a remarkable invention. Uh, I, I, I mean, I use the touchscreen soda machines at the movie theater, and I love that because they don't, the, I don't have to tell the cashier the shameful drink I want, which is a mix of ginger ales <laughs> that sort of amounts to a diet, diet Shirley Temple that a, you know, someone in their late thirties, maybe <laughs> it's a little embarrassing to order. Um, and we saw uh, Evan Peters in this episode, get some Wawa coffee. Did we not? That's yeah, that's right. Um, but I think, I think the reason I wanted to read this was, you know, yes, Wawa is such a, 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 a cultural icon of uh, the Pennsylvania and central Jersey or South Jersey uh, landscape. Um, but also like, it does kind of explain why we've seen Mayor eat like four sandwiches in just two episodes. <laughs> I don't know that they're supposed to be from Wawa because I think they're more like cheesesteaks than subs. But like there is a sandwich culture that stretches all the way to Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania because there they put French fries on their sandwiches, Permanti Brothers and whatnot. Um, so, yes, I, I think the sandwich lore of Pennsylvania is hovering over this show quite appropriately. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. 
What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of the Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. (laughs) Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, so which, um, you know... I, I might just like segment this whole show up. Which sandwich would you rather, uh, in this episode? The midnight, uh, cheesesteak that mm-hmm. Gene Smart purchased, uh, or the, the car hoagie? I think there was a, no, 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 it was a kitchen hoagie. Hoagie or cheese or midnight cheesesteak? Midnight cheesesteak. Although right. I'm doing like intermittent <laughs> fasting, so I'm only supposed to eat between 1 p.m. and 9 p.m. So midnight might be a stretch, but for that, for okay. a real Philly cheesesteak, I would make an exception. <laughs> What about 8.45 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> um, cheesesteak? Great, yeah. great, great. Um, all right. Um, that's fair enough. I I think I also would take any any sandwich that Gene Smart offered me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's another – that's yeah, that's a good reasoning. Yeah. Um, but overall, I, I, of all the things we've seen Mare shove into her face un- ungracefully, I think the breakfast sandwich from episode one is the one that looked – like, I love mm-hmm. an egg sandwich. So um, – Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep an eye out for those sandwiches. Thanks so much. What, what other emails do we have? Um, so then we had another email uh, that was also kind of about the, uh, you know, sort of a sociology of the Pennsylvania where this show is set, um, but a little bit more in depth than um, just matters of sandwiches. Um, so Maureen writes to us uh, and says, I happen to be from Western Pennsylvania growing up, um, but have also spent time in both central and eastern Pennsylvania. And that accent is pretty close. Okay, so Maureen is one of the people who likes the accent. We got a, more likes than dislikes, but there were a couple people who were like, I just couldn't not hear Kate Winslet. Anyway, uh, Maureen goes on to say, I also had lived in a small declining Pennsylvania steel town that won the state basketball title two years in a row. And the depiction uh, as seen on the show seems on the mark. My experience was within five years of championship. uh, But if either of the superstar players on the team walked into a public gathering, you would have thought the president had entered the room. Totally surreal as an outsider to witness people pointing out that they were present. uh, And I'm sure to this to this day, uh, neither uh, ever pay for their own drinks. So, yeah, Uh, small small town fame or. Yeah. 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 Um, she, Maureen goes on to say that the multi-generational habitation with the ex's family next door seems very real world. Um, and she says, uh, I have moved around a lot and as an outsider new to a smaller and declining community, when they greet you with asking, why would you move here? It tells you a great deal, which is something, you know, we see in the first episode when, um, mayor meets the, the visiting professor. Right. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else? Email wise, um, no, I think that was it. You know, keep the the Philly, Pennsylvania arcana coming. We <laughs> yes. we want to hear all about it. Um, and who knows what awaits us? I mean, 
is Kate Winslet going to say Yins at some point? Has she said it yet? I don't think so. I haven't but, heard it yet, or yeah. or John. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, email us. We we want to know. Um, all right, so. Let us get into this episode. First, I'm going to start with the title of this episode. It's called Fathers. And I was wondering if you had any, um, I mean, there's some obvious reasons why, but if you had any thoughts about why um, it's titled that. Well, I think because, I mean, it's sort of saying like, here, here is a, our first subset of, su- of suspects. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's two fathers prominently in terms of Aaron's, father who is sort of suspected you know mayor has to ask him that awkward question of like were you home all night mm-hmm. and then you have the father dylan the father of aaron's baby which who actually may not be the father and then you have the twist at the end where maybe the real father who's mayor's ex-husband and is also a father obviously to mayor's uh two children uh could be involved so i think it's basically just tracing this paternal you know line of suspicion through the town um which is kind of a grim thing to spend time in i guess you know but uh in in terms of its view of like men and families i guess but uh but i think everyone presented here has a sort of credible enough motive i think that um one other thing that we should consider is um the deacon would you call a deacon a father i don't know we mean a deacon is a lay person i think in a church but both of these people are priests right or is that he's listed as a deacon at least on wikipedia i might be wrong that i thought deacons were were so father dan is uh mayor's cousin who we met in episode one and we see so he's a father so father dan in the church but then mark who give, is the one who gives a sermon is listed at least on Wikipedia as a deacon. Okay. So, um, but anyway, I, you know, uh, clergy, clergy who, uh, ran a program that Aaron was part of. I'm always going to keep my eye, yeah. both eyes <laughs> open. Um, and I think it's interesting when, when Mayor finds out, um, who the victim is, that it's Aaron, uh, and she knows she needs to go talk to Aaron's father, Kenny. She rounds up two men to go with her, John and Billy Ross. John uh, Ross is married to, um, you know, Mary's best friend, Lori. Um, and then Billy appears to be John's like younger brother, maybe. Right. So these two men who know Kenny um, and, uh, you know, John at least is a father. We don't know about Billy, but like, I don't know. It just felt like she rounded up like a posse of fathers to go with her to break the news to Kenny um, <clears throat> that his daughter was dead. And Kenny didn't make like a tremendous impression on us in the first episode as, as a father. Um, but, uh, what do you, what do you make of his reaction here on a scale of like one to Sean Penn? Um, is that my daughter in there? Yeah. See, there's the Boston, Joanna. No, um, you're right. You're right. Uh, I think what I appreciated about that initial scene where they go to the house. Mm-hmm. Was both its kind of like illustration of community where, you know, yes, formally it is the police's responsibility, I suppose, to go and tell the, you know, the person, someone that their loved one has been killed. But the town or this, at least this kind of subset of the town is close knit enough that it, it doesn't feel weird to like kind of marshal two civilians to come with you as right. a 
police officer to do that. I think there's also something about like gender in there about like mayor thinking that like he would react differently if there were two men there. Maybe he'd be more willing to sort of process it or maybe she felt maybe a little protected because what if he turned his anger at the news on her? We've seen him be a little bit threatening to his daughter in the first episode and then obviously everything he does later in this episode. So I thought that was interesting. I also appreciated that we saw him be a bad dad to Aaron in episode one and he was a bad dad, but that doesn't preclude grief, you know, uh, and it doesn't, you know, I, I, well, I'm hesitant to say it doesn't mean he doesn't love her because if you love, if he loved her, why would he treat her so badly? But there is at least some genuine care and affection there, or there was, you know, and I think that the show, not just making him an outright monster and also not making him an outright, you know, pitiable, bereaved father, I think places the show in a more realistic emotional terrain. Yeah. Um, I think that I think what's so interesting about that flow of familiarity, right? Like it's compromising throughout. We see that throughout this episode. Um, we meet Evan Peters character, uh, Colin Zabel. And, um, you know, he is sort of constantly slightly alarmed by the familiarity, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that he's seeing around him. Um, but I like that it sort of flows both, both ways because later in the episode, when Mare is questioning Brianna, Brianna throws this awful thing at Mare, like, no wonder your son killed himself, right? It's a terrible thing that she says, but like, it, it's not just that Mare knows these people so well, they know her so well as well. Do you know everyone knows each other's? family stories. Um, I just, I think that's just such an interesting, complicated dynamic to introduce. And once again, it reminds me a lot of like some of these British crime dramas, like Broadchurch, where like every single person knows each other in this small town. So um, let us, let's, let's, let's go to Evan Peters, detective Colin Zabel. He of the, uh, I will get you coffee in the morning. Uh Evan Peters giving us like a little, uh, a very different look than he gave us in WandaVision. Very clean cut, uh, nice coat, uh, bright eyed, bushy tailed, as I mentioned last week. Uh, what do you think of, of Evan in this role? I think it's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll be curious to see, like, this episode is putting even more things up into the tapestry of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I might maybe suggest we'll talk about it later like maybe too many things in some cases but um i'm curious to see how he will fit into things because they're not making him the snide bigger city cop or more you know whatever he's you know wherever he's coming from Mm -hmm. who's looking down on her and sort of like trying to take charge he's pretty he's pretty cool with a secondary position it feels like you know and it's just trying to learn and help and then that feels genuine right now um, maybe it will prove not to be. Um, but still that Mayor reacts the way she does, d- I think does say a lot to kind of what one of our emails were saying about these like depressed towns, these Rust Belt towns, if you want to call them that. Um, and that feeling of like wounded pride, especially Mayor, who is the, 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 a source of so much local pride, um, being like, well, ha- now someone has to come in here and like help me do my job that I've been doing longer than him. Like, there, mm-hmm. like the indignity of it that, um, Evan Peters' character is like cognizant of, but 
but it's kind of like, well, I'm here, so I kind of have to help. I, I, again, I think kind of similar to the way that um, the father reacted. Like, I, I just think that there's nuance there that is appreciated and that like other shows would just have him be this complete asshole. Yeah, it's just a really different character. And I mentioned last week that I felt like <clears throat> the two characters were sort of gender swapped from what a dynamic that we often see, like a young you know, newish female detective, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and the, like, you know, seen-it-all sort of jaded older detective. Um, and I and I, I really just, I'm going to stick by that. Um, and I think Evan Peters is kind of playing that. Like, <laughs> one one small moment that I didn't notice until rewatch. Like, he, he seems in awe of her uh, to a certain degree. Um, like, yes, he, he, you know, he's like, I don't think you should be yelling in this restaurant or I don't think you should be doing this interrogation or, you know, all that sort of stuff. But like also looking at her clippings that's framed, that was framed and like down on the floor or, Mm -hmm. you know, getting her coffee or whatever. And there's this moment in the restaurant scene when they first walk in and, uh, you know, and, and the person at the hostess stand is like, you know, table for two. And Mary's like, no. And he has this little, yeah. like, smile on his face. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah. Uh, something, something to keep an eye on. But yeah, I love, I love this for Evan Peters. We talked about this a little bit in episode one, but like, we're fans of Evan Peters. We like him in the Ryan Murphy verse. It's fun to see him do something different. This feels so different from anything that I've ever seen him do before. Um, and we see, you know, Richard and I have seen a little bit more than you guys are, have listening. And I think there's a lot of room for him to do some interesting stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, that he's here. I'm excited for this dynamic. I love that like Mayor just like leaves and go, goes and like walks down on him and hits the vape. Sits outside <laughs> size, you know, like her treatment of him too is just is cracking me up. I think that's really great. So there you go. Um, I also wanted to say about the, um, him glancing at the headline, the framed newspaper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did what did the headline say or something? It was something about like hope or something. You know, it, it was like a very like joyful sentiment, um, for a down on the slug town and a down on the slug character to kind of be looking back at. And what I appreciate about sort of the way that she's being framed in that way, Mayor is, mm-hmm. is we've, we, it's become such a kind of stale, almost kind of crude or even classist joke about like, well, those football boys, they're going to peak in high school and then they're going to be miserable townies the rest <laughs> of their life. You know, that right, kind right. of thing, yeah. that trope. Sometimes yes, that is true. And sometimes they were assholes and it's like, well, okay, failure to launch, whatever. There's also nothing wrong with staying in your hometown, you know? Right. Um, but I, I like that we have this character, a sports star who is, whose glories have faded, but it's done in from such, it's approached from such a different angle. I, I think I really appreciate, I didn't really, really even realize that I was kind of seeing a familiar rubric, uh, until that moment. And I was like, Oh, right. This is that narrative. It's just being told differently. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, we'll, we'll need to ask Brad if it was ever. He ever, if he ever considered putting a man in, in this role. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, they once were, again, I, I was going to do it. And then yeah. I couldn't get the accent right. And so I said, my, <laughs> my friend Kate, I think she's been, she would, she was studying it anyway. I think she was trying to get into a Shyamalan <laughs> film or something. Right, so right, it all yeah. worked out. Richard, let me hear your best Wooder. Can you do it? Wooder? Uh, I don't know. It's not good enough. Not good enough. No. Um, no all right. So the, the thrust of this episode in terms of fathers is that Kenny, Aaron's father, very much agrees with me that 
the number one suspect is usually uh the boyfriend, the 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 baby daddy if you prefer. Um and there's a little bit of like vigilante justice and it ends with the gunshot and we don't know what happens next. So yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, again with the kind of like measured way these characters are being approached, you know, like yes, we see Dylan be a complete asshole in the first episode. Mm-hmm. Uh letting his new girlfriend beat up his the mother of his child, his mm-hmm. his former girlfriend, like, you know, and he's sitting in this passive lump who's kind of curt and whatever. You not that you're rooting for him something bad to happen to him, but then when he's out in the woods and he realizes that like, oh, something actually really serious is about to happen, I think. And he's yeah. like, I'm just a kid. I'm just and a it kid. really snaps you out of yeah. it. You're like, he is just a kid, you know? Yeah. And and it doesn't excuse all the bad behavior, but it sort of puts it in a context that like makes it really heartbreaking, uh, what happens to him in the end of the episode. And that's what, you know, in Mare in her interrogation of him, like obviously she's using some like, you know, cop psychology on him, but um, you know, she's she she offers empathy, whether it's like a tool manipul it could be a manipulative tool, but also like you get the sense that like she knows she's she's been a single parent. She's she was obviously quite young when she had her first kid, Kevin, like, you know, she knows what it's like to be a young parent. And so when right. she offers that empathy, Yes, it's to sort of soften him up to try to get him to confess or something like that. But it comes from a from a real experienced truth in her own life. And um yeah. Um, that's that's what makes Mary so interesting. She's always like, she's often both things, you know? And realistically, she would have known that kid since he was little, you know, right. or at least been aware of him in the town, you know. Their kids are this her you know, her kid is the sa- relatively the same age, you know. It's just and that that sort of like weariness of like oh, how did we get here that kind of thing i i i appreciate those nuances the should we talk about um kevin um a mayor's kid who killed himself who's um you know the father of drew the little the little boy who's living in her house now um we get a big sort of exposition dump about kevin but carefully laced into this very emotional scene where mayor is is you know talking to the neurologist i think it is um about drew's tick that he's doing like this eye blinking thing that that maybe um her son kevin did i thought this was really well done i thought kate winslet was incredible in this scene what did you think oh man i mean i i've seen that episode the episode twice now so i've seen that scene twice and like, yeah, it's really like you watch that scene and you're like, this is why like this, you know, I think that for me, Kate Winslet's star profile, and this is on me, not on her, um, had been a little bit clouded by her Oscar campaign the year she won for the reader because she dared to want the award kind mm. of publicly. And I, mm-hmm. you know, that was such a verboten, like, oh, you shouldn't show desire for such a frivolous thing. Right. I, I have now grown up a little bit since 2008 or whatever, 2009. And, and been like that, uh, whatever she, she earned it. She can say it's not a shampoo bottle anymore holding her Oscar, you know, fine. Um, <laughs> and in the years since though, I do think she has kind of chosen for whatever reason projects that kind of follow that similar prestige to lesser effect. She's done great work since the reader, but like, um, it's been a bit hit or miss. And this scene, in addition to stuff from Ammonite and a couple other projects that she's done recently, I was like, all right, she's an incredibly good actor. And, and an, and a nuanced one, not a big grandstandy Oscar real one. Like that is 
that's quiet kind of almost like intimate off off Broadway theater acting. It, it like and the way in which the way she says um I had to check out, right? And yeah. and the way she does that whole scene without breaking down in tears, but just sh- but also showing us like all of the emotions just bubbling right up inside of her. Just incredible stuff. Just so good. Um and I mean, I think similarly the vulnerability she shows when she goes to Richard's like book party and he's talking to these, all these other women, you know, she like, she cleans up real nice. She goes to this book party and, you know, I mean, I, I would say that he ignores her. You can, you know, he has his own version of events, but like, uh, you know, and just that, just that feeling of, I don't belong here. What am I doing? Why did I let myself you know, why did I blow my hair out and put eyeliner on for this? Like, what, what is this? Uh, all wordlessly, uh, I thought was also really incredible. Yeah. I mean, this, the part where she spits the food out and put, like, yeah. hides it napkin and then, like, quietly stuffs it under the couch. Uh-huh. I've literally done that. I've also like, literally done that. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people have. It's just such a good moment, really deftly done. Um, I did have a question, though, about yeah. his behavior at the party. Yeah. Do you think there's any chance that he's like playing some weird psychological game with her that like the ignoring was part of sort of a longer thing? It seems like it. Yeah. And like, uh, because so giving him full benefit of the doubt, like, let's say he's, he's playing, he's like, look at all these women who are paying attention to me. And let's say, let's say that's an insecurity response to her being so, uh, resistant to his advances, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, when he sends her the flowers and she calls him, he's like, donate, you know, like, before you give up on me forever, let me just offer this to you. So, yeah, like, if I'm giving a charitable read of it, it's him being insecure. But, again, he's a grown-ass human adult male. <laughs> so, like, that's a – that feels like a teen move to me or, like, an early – like, that's not something I think you should be doing later in your life. Do you know what I mean? I've done that before. I've done stuff like that before, but I'd like to think that I left it – behind in my 20s i could be wrong but um yeah maybe maybe i should have more empathy i don't know what do you think yeah i mean i i just i i know that we had talked about last week that like pierce was kind of stepping in to do a favor like it was supposed to be a different actor not as quite quite as famous an actor so it's like okay so maybe this role isn't as like it's a is a bit sort of warped by its star power now mm-hmm. and it's not meant to be some central thing but like we have you know, everyone's a suspect. <laughs> so I have to consider him at least ev- maybe he's the peeper and not the murderer, or maybe the peeper is the murderer. I don't know. But like something about the way he's so consciously when she first walked into the party, didn't even give her a full wave, kind of did a little half thing, mm-hmm. didn't like hold up like a one minute finger, you know, acknowledging like I'm going to be yeah. held here for He just kind of like acknowledged her and then completely turned back. So that felt so deliberate. Yeah. And I'm just, you know, maybe he was just being kind of a shitty guy or maybe like he's trying to wear her down for some more sinister thing. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I did like her reaction because he's like, uh, you know, she's like, come on, you ask me here. I love, I just love that. Like sometimes Mayor says things that I'm just like, yes, I, I need, to, I need to be, be the Mayor you'd like to see in the world. Like, and she says, come on, man. Like in this yeah. very like kind of like no nonsense way. I yeah. Really, yeah. Like, don't, whatever mind game you think you're playing with me, stop it right now. It's not going to work. Um, and then let's talk about Carrie. Carrie is, uh, the kid, the little kid Drew's mom, Kevin's, 
um, I don't know, ex, uh, who had a drug problem is getting sober and wants custody of the kid. And we first meet her, um, when, you know, she's, she's seeing the kid and, um, Gene Smart's character's name is Helen. So Helen and Siobhan and Frank all go take the kid over to see her. And what's really interesting about that, there's a couple things. First of all, Gene Smart doing like A plus 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 acting, letting her face just completely crumple when Carrie says she's going to try for custody. And um, also then Helen lies to Mare about it. Uh, so, you know, what? what's this whole journey that Helen's going on here? Well, so this is where I, I, I worry the show might be getting a little too over adorned, you know? It's like, so in addition to the, the, the grandson ex- exhibiting similar tics to what her son, who is now dead, for, uh, uh, you know, died of suicide, displayed and when he was young, and there's a murder, and there's this new guy in her life, and her ex-husband's getting married, and now she might lose the grandkid to a custody dispute, um, that this one, like, okay, this is all happening in the space of like a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I worry that maybe the drama is getting a little too cluttered there. But in 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 its isolated way, like if yeah. it were to strip away everything else, I think it's it 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 feels credible that everyone's behavior around this thing. Yeah, no, I I, I see what you mean. I see what you mean because <laughs> we're not even through all the things that happen this episode, and so the idea I think is to pile part of this. I think what we're going to be watching is like the the show's called Maravies Town, right? So it's like I think it's. How much can one woman have piled on her at once is probably the journey we're going to see her go on. But I think you're right. There's also just like a lot of town folk to keep track of. Like I had to write down really carefully, like John and Billy Ross, they're brothers. Okay. And they go with Mare to go talk to Kenny, who they know, I don't know, from high school or whatever. Like, And then uh, we still have a couple more big things to talk about. There is Jess, who is Aaron's best friend, um, who we met in episode one, who knows a secret. You already mentioned this, that like perhaps um, – well, she she believes that Frank, Mare's ex, is the the father of, of uh, Aaron's kid. And we also found out that Aaron was like in Frank – Frank's a teacher and Aaron was in his class. I thought that was really smoothly done where Mare was just talking to Frank and she's like, what was Aaron like in your class? You know, like that was just really casually tossed in there. Um, so we – so by the time that Jess says it at the end of the episode, it's not like – what on earth could their connection possibly be? Um, but what I thought was really interesting, there's this like interesting thing going on of, of the clannishness of the men and the women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like um, John and Billy, the Ross brothers, <laughs> um, were at Frank's, were like tying one on with Frank in the previous episode, right? So when Jess and her mom come over to talk to Lori, Julian Nicholson's character, they ask to do it alone because they don't want to do it in front of John because John knows Frank, right? And that there is like this idea that the maybe the men will stick together in a clannish way. And maybe the women will stick together in a clannish way because you have stuff like when Brianna's dad is harassing Mare and his wife is like in the street, Helen's just like, come on in, son. <laughs> like, come on in. Tell me all the things that are going on. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah, this just yeah. interesting, I think kind of down the gender lines, though I'll have to keep a closer eye on it. Um, clannishness, do you know? Yeah. I mean, not, I'm not an anthropologist, but like 
that's a way a lot of communities are ordered, you know, um, maybe not even sort of explicitly on purpose, but like things, especially when you live in communities where like men have been socialized to like not talk about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there needs to be channels of communication. And sometimes it feels like it's happening not behind their backs, but sort of despite the men, you know, it's like, the women yeah. like well, we got to talk this out because they're not going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting how the show is doing exactly that. Similarly, if you want to talk about like sort of uh, people sticking together unexpectedly or, or otherwise, the scene where Brianna's dad is harassing Mare in the gas station and Dawn yeah. steps up for Mare. Um, I thought it was a really good moment and Mare acknowledging that like, thank you, Dawn. Um, I, you know, especially given how the press conference goes earlier in the episode. So yeah, just those moments of like, I may not like you, <laughs> but we're together in this community bonded by this thing we share, you know, Dawn and Mare from the same basketball team. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So and I think alliances, that, you know, I think that something that then feels so violated by this reveal at the end is that where it might be Frank is he seemed like one of the decent husbands or ex-husbands, you know, he seemed like one of the decent fathers. And then the idea that like, maybe this kind of municipal sickness that is ailing these men to be such jerks, like actually did affect him, you know? And, and obviously it's, you know, there is a, a definitely the show casts a suspicious eye at the, clergyman the deacon and the priest mm-hmm. you know um for good reason frankly um given all we know about that church um so i yeah there definitely seemed to be something like the women are sort of acting as they are supporting and and acting as bulwarks in this community uh in, while the men kind of spin off in dark directions and Frank seemed the least likely to do that. And then that is kind of, at least our perception of it is shattered or at least called into question by the end of the episode. Right. Right. So there we are. Um, the last thing I think I want to mention is, um, Siobhan and Siobhan's relationship with Mare. And I just want to like give, give further appreciation to this mother daughter dynamic that is like, uh, (laughs) I don't know if toxic is even, it's like strained, do you know, um, uh, harsher than strained, maybe slightly less than toxic, but like the idea of, of, um, bright eyed detective Colin Zabel asking Siobhan, you know, any tips on your mom? And she's like, lower your expectations. That's something I might've said as a teen. Um, you know, it's just, uh, I think they're, I think they're peppering that in really well. And I suspect, but, but it's so interesting. That family is so interesting, right? Because like Siobhan is definitely like really hands-on helping raising her um, nephew. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the family unit works with Helen, the family unit works with Frank. It's just Mare that, that doesn't fit well in her own family, but is still somehow the center of the family. Yeah. Um so fascinating, fascinating character. I, I, I like the the moment when Mayor says, Oh, you know, sitting around drinking Manhattans with you know, the the cousin. Dan, yeah. Yeah. Uh it, you know, and 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 then Jean Smart's like, I, I, I think I do a little more than that. You know, and she's yeah. clearly like hurt and defending but defending herself and like yeah. 
it's just such a subtle thing, but such a crucial window into like that family dynamic. You know, like Mayor kind of knows she's gonna, she's being dismissive and that's kind of her character. That's yeah. kind of who she, you know, she's, she's gruff and not that friendly. Um, and, and would be kind of like boneheaded and be like, reduce everything her mother does to just that right. in the moment. Right. Yeah. It's, um, Jean Smart is such a gift in this show. Uh, just watching her play, I could watch her play Fruit Ninja on the couch. Um, Drinking a juice box. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Um, all right. Let's, let's do our whodunit roundup. Mm. Uh, who's, who's on your list this week, Richard? Well, maybe it's just, just cause I grew up about not even 10 minutes away from the, uh, headquarters of the Boston Catholic Archdiocese. Mm. <laughs> but like you bring a priest into these, these things, <laughs> you know, in the Northeast or anywhere, really, frankly. And I'm like, all ears perk toward that mm-hmm. direction, you know? So I, I think that is there for some reason. Um, but maybe it's just to capture more of the texture of this town. But I think there's probably more. Well, I think he also mentioned that he's, uh, at least the, de- the deacon is sort of newish in town, right? Like he's come yes. from another parish. Perhaps. As is our peeper. Ah. Mm. All right. So the deacon is on your list. Um, I'll go ahead. I mean, I'll, I'll take another obvious one. I'll take Frank. Sure. <laughs> uh, with my lingering the office resentment of that actor. No, yeah. He moved from Scranton and moved down here and is now a murder suspect. <laughs> uh, who else do you have? Um, well, I have to, I have to consider, and I don't know why, but I have to consider that Evan Peters did it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think that's the law. I think if Evan Peters shows up, you have to consider that he did it. Uh, I'm going to keep Richard, the author, on my list. Um, I don't like his mind games, so he's on my list. All right, one last one from you. I mean, you're right to assume that most authors named Richard are murderers. Just, <laughs> I'm just saying, hypothetically. Um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't know if it's I don't know if I'm cheating, but I think that all this talk about the clannishness of the women and the men kind of separate and how the men kind of are all behaving badly or many of them are, maybe that's sort of a misdirect, and mm, maybe it's mm-hmm. one of the 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 women, the women. in the matriarchal circle. Mm-hmm. And so again, Julianne Nicholson is on this show, mm, and Lori. she's a big actor, and you know, so she's second build. Yeah. Uh, so so Lori, okay, um, and I'll go with Lori's husband, John. It's just something about him doesn't sit right with me, so we'll 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 take the couple. All right, I did. So that, I did yeah, yeah. Sorry, I uh, I I'm going to spoil something about Broadchurch for a second. Yeah. Um. So people turn stop. You know, fast forward if you don't want to hear it about the first season. But like the the reveal that like maybe Mare's well ex husband is involved is so like the twist at the end of the first season of Broadchurch. Not not. I don't think it's copying it. It's just interesting and kind of well, echo of that. Well, I, but I think that's why it's here at the beginning. Because honestly, right. I don't think Frank. No. If if we're making this, if this question comes up in episode two of an eight episode season, I don't think it's Frank. That yeah. that actually has uh, <laughs> moved Frank off my list. If the I'm undoing really didn't challenge your preconceptions about how these <laughs> mysteries are told. No. Uh. So yeah, I don't think we're headed for quite a, a broad church ending, but um. But I mean, but it's going to be unavoidably someone that Mayor knows really well, right? I think, unless it's like the deacon from out of town, because that's sort of the whole thing about these, like, 
That's the whole thing about freaking Cabot Cove. That's the whole thing about these small village mysteries is it's always someone you know. And that's what makes them – there's two things that, you know, this is a long history stretching back to like, you know, Agatha Christie cozy mysteries and stuff like that. It's like – it's A, it's going to be someone you know, maybe someone you've known your whole life. And B, it's going to be – the mystery is going to be entangled with a lot of just personal drama that is simmering in this small uh, environment. And uh, I, I just think it's fascinating to see an American version of this. I, I'm, you know, maybe maybe folks can write in still watching pod at gmail.com if there's any other American examples other than like Cabot Cove yeah. and Murder She Wrote that I'm missing. And Murder She Wrote was like an, an overt, you know, Agatha Christie, uh, Miss Marple sort of ripoff thing. So, um, not ripoff, homage, let's say. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there are other American examples. Um, or, and should there be like the golden girls really probably should have been a murder mystery show. Um, and <laughs> I am pitching my <laughs> golden girls do murder, <laughs> uh, premise to HBO right now. Uh, if you, if you want to take me up on it. Um, all right, Richard, until we come back and, and stare suspiciously at more town folk, where can folks find you? Uh, vf.com, uh, Rylaws on Twitter, and also at my Carrie Matheson esque uh, bulletin board with red string because I just came up with a new theory that Mare's daughter found out that the girl had been sleeping with her father and killed her out of anger, <gasps> and she had access to a gun because her mother is a police officer. It was Siobhan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, love, love a Carrie Matheson uh, conspiracy board. Always here for it. Uh, you can find me on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This, and we will see you back in Easttown next week. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowicz. Um, who should be the mayor of New York? We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.